I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. James, we have actual things to talk about, real things. I guess we have been talking about return to place. So that's real. Um, but now there's like actually stuff. You might have things to talk about. I've been still sitting in my bedroom at my desk every day, like reading your Twitter feed to know what's going on because, huh. you know, we've decided we don't want to have like, we don't want to have a big army of people down there. Like it just with social distancing and everything, it doesn't, I don't think it's necessary for us to have a whole bunch of people there. And in normal circumstances, we have two or three people at every practice, but, um, so this, I think this will be an interesting show because I haven't seen any of the practices other than like what's coming out on social media and what they're showing on TV uh, on the highlight shows and stuff like that. So you're going to be like my eyes and my ears. I've been seeing the interviews with the players and, and the coach and, and all that. I've been so like I kind of have the perspective of someone trying to cover and pay attention to this from home and you have the perspective of being there. What do you think the big difference is between what I'm getting from just the Zoom calls and social media and like what you're seeing there, like what stands out to you that's that's unique about about the environment there? Well, I'd say two things. Obviously, number one is I'm getting to see every player I want as much as I want. Mm-hmm. So I can spend, so like Tuesday, for instance, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Tuesday, I spent the whole day just watching Nick Robertson. Like I filmed a bunch of his shifts with my phone. Mm-hmm. I took all these notes. I just watched him on everything he did. And obviously if you're at home, like you don't have that advantage. The, the second thing is you're not getting the vibe of uh, a weird training camp that's like mostly like training camp, but not like training camp because of the circumstances where you're wearing a mask all the time. You're, you're, there's all these like X's on the ground where you're supposed to stand. So like that part of it, you're, you're also not experiencing. And it, it's, it's weird ish. Like the, the really the only weird part is, is having to wear your mask all the time. Other than that, it does feel like training camp, but then you have to remind yourself, like, this is not real training camp. Like they're going to be playing for their season. And and then you go outside and it's 31 degrees or whatever. And, and, and they're, well, that's the other thing. Like I'm wearing four layers like i'm wearing a sweatshirt sweatshirt jacket and then i come outside and it's beautiful so that's i hey i don't mind that i was wearing shorts and a t-shirt today walking around the city and i was melting it is it is incredibly hot and i think part of the problem is i put on some weight over the the pandemic and sitting at home all the time and i don't know it's not really weight that i needed when it's 32 degrees outside 
<laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. Like you've been exercising a lot and I've been seeing people online are saying like, oh, I lost 20 pounds during this. And it's like, holy cow, I'm, I'm like going the other way. Anyway, <laughs> maybe I should start coming out to practice and doing something. I feel like I'm turning into big sloth man having sat around Couch for potato. so long. Is it, is it, is it, does it feel re-energizing to just be like back at the rink and like, does it feel like things are sort of back to normal a little bit more? Yeah, because it feels like, like you actually have a light at the end of the tunnel, if that is the right yeah. way to put it. Just in that, like, you can see that we're getting to the point where hopefully they'll go into the bubble, hopefully they'll play games. And, like, there are actual tangible things that we can discuss that are real, like, that are happening. Um, like, these first few days of camp, what they've looked like, who've, who've, who are we trying to, like, sort out? as far as like who's going to be on the roster where who's going to play where like all these things are now real as opposed to when it's like april and like you don't know if there's going to be a season and like all these different scenarios are playing out in your mind and now we actually are in a we're like right at that point before the the, the starting gate where we're actually going to see a race maybe so um, I think what we should do, given that you've kind of had a different perspective of the camp than I have, is like I would like to ask you some questions and you can we can even, we can do lightning round or we can dive deep on some of the stuff or does that work for you if I just like yeah pick, that sounds pick, good that, pick your be brain fun. yeah I don't know how I, I hope it's gonna be fun um, we're gonna talk about Nick Robertson because I think he's an obvious answer for this question but other than Nick Robertson what's the one thing that has stood out to you? about one or of the players or a group of the players that you weren't expecting to see going into this? Well, the guy who, hmm, I think Neander has looked awesome. And and granted, like, it's hard to take, make too much of what you see in, like, these little drills and, like, scrimmages. They've been scrimmaging a lot. That's, you know, an interesting storyline. But he looks great. Um, and obviously he's coming off a year where the narrative around him really changed and where you kind of saw him take another step. Like we talked about it all, all season, James, like you just see a confident player now and they've got him back with Matthews. That's an interesting combination. Obviously Hyman on the right side, like those three guys you can see like just in the scrimmage today that they did, like you can see that there's familiarity there. There's chemistry there. And, and obviously they only got to back together as a line in that fi final game before the pause, but you can see it's there. And then you watch like the, the, the scrimmage starts today and like Mitch Marner just looks like a star. And like it's interesting when you see them in situations like this, um, you can sort out what's what a little bit. And so I, I wrote a story about Nick Robertson on Tuesday and then they have this this scrimmage on Wednesday and Nick Robertson looks like an 18 year old who's playing in like his first scrimmage. Like he just looks overwhelmed. He turns the puck over. He doesn't look comfortable, totally comfortable confident so it's, it's been interesting for me to see little things like that but you can see you know day by day Matthew's first day looked a little sluggish each day you can see he looks a little better and obviously you wrote about you know his situation with the virus a couple weeks where he's not doing much well it makes it, sense just that to it clarify, would take him some time he said he was able to work out like he felt fine he just wasn't able no to, he said no he wasn't I, see, able to I think skate. You got that yeah he said no he said he wasn't able to do that much those were his words. Yeah, um, but he also said that it didn't hinder his training at all. Well, you can't have two things at once. The, like I, I feel like I'm pretty well versed on what was going on with Matthews. Like he felt largely fine. 
he just he couldn't skate because he was quarantined at home like he couldn't be around any other people so as soon as he tested positive he was stuck right, at, his, but, at his house in arizona so i think the right, reason but, why he'd be winded is because if you're not on the ice for three weeks and then you look at some of the other guys like Nylander and Tavares and Hyman who have been in phase two skating their asses off for the Leafs for the last, whatever, three or four weeks. That's a pretty big difference right there. But he 100%. wasn't like he wasn't like bedridden or something like that. He wasn't like unable to to. No, uh, but like you like you're saying, James, you take two weeks off. You're you're way behind. Like it was just it, a different just, kind of training. He was it's able, like conditioning. Right. But I like I saw some fans seem confused by the whole thing. And we're like, oh, he was so sick. He couldn't do anything. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not right. Like he wasn't, that's not what happened. Anyway, like he is behind, but I don't think it's going to be, I don't think the story with Matthews is going to be COVID is going to hold him back from playing well in the first games of the the play in. I, I, I don't, I don't think that's right. No. And in some ways, like he may be set up to be ascending kind of at the right time where he'll be feeling his best right as they head into mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll see. It's interesting. I don't know. Though, does like, that answer your question? Yeah, it's interesting that you know what I've picked up just from listening to Sheldon Keefe and some of the players talk, and and in and in talking to some Leafs people behind the scenes, the organization really believes that what they did in Phase Two is potentially going to help them. That all of that extra skating that they were able to do with such a large group, like they had, like I think the Leafs had like mm-hmm. eighteen or twenty-two or something players that were part of Phase Two. I mean, the, the number changed over time. They had such a high percentage of their training camp guys together and and skating and working on things for such a long period of time. I remember writing that, does this really mean anything? Like, is this going to go anywhere? The organization thinks it is. Like, that was a few weeks ago when they were first on the ice that I I was like, does this matter? But the the team seems to think it matters. I don't know. Like, have you, there's just been this undercurrent and and Sheldon Keefe talked about it today of how, how much of an advantage or how good it is he feels that they've been on the ice for so long already. Well, he's mentioned that I, I think the conditioning is probably part of that. Like he, I think he talked about it earlier this week with, um, there were some things that, that players asked to be doing during phase two so that they wouldn't have to do it during these two weeks. And I think that allows them to focus more on structural stuff, system stuff the scrimmages is like a big part of it. Like if you're not spending all this time having to get everyone back in quote unquote shape, I would think like you can just dive more into some of the, the teaching and the refreshing that, that you're going to want to do if you're Sheldon Keith. You know what I mean? One, one question. Yeah. One question I was going to ask you is, um, and one question I was thinking of asking Sheldon Keith today, which I didn't, and maybe I will tomorrow. Um, I was thinking of saying, is there room for the Leafs to experiment with some like kind of like different and weirder stuff and move some guys around? Or is the focus just because of Sheldon keep talked today about how short the time frame is, how short this camp is to get ready. Like they don't, I was thinking going into this, they would have some room to experiment. They don't really though. Right. Like other than Nick Robertson coming in, they're not like moving a whole bunch of guys around and they're not doing like, I thought maybe Sandine or Dermot might be on the right side or like they might try some different stuff most of what they're doing we've seen during the season and 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 what what's changed maybe is some of the tactical stuff i guess is what they're what they're looking at i don't think you're going to see them here's one thing like up front i think they'll potentially play around with some stuff but it's not going to be something that we haven't seen so like the way they start the the camp is they've got neander back with uh matthews and they got Tavares back with marner 
I think it's possible two days from now that Marner is back with Matthews and Neander is back with Tavares. Like I think mm-hmm. you might see that kind of tweak, mm-hmm. but I don't think you're going to see. I guess you could see a tweak of those six defensemen. I don't think you're going to see like Rasmus Sandin get in there yet, unless there's an injury. Mm-hmm. But like, could could Sheldon Keith look at this and be like, you know what, I, I'm going to give Riley Barry another look and then go back to Dermot CC. I think that's possible. I just don't know that. I think one thing that that was interesting when he talked about the combinations and why he did what he did is he said, you know, this is what I this is what we did before the break. And obviously, like I was at a point where that's what I felt was necessary then in the heart of the season. So if they were at that point in March when they're like, you know what, this this Riley Berry thing, we tried it. We're not going to go back to it. We're going to go back to Riley CC. I feel like now that they're gearing up again, they're going to go back to what they were thinking then. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not they're they're trying to it seems like to get back in the the frame of mind that they had when they were in the season. I know, but as like opposed to a lot now. of what they were doing in the season wasn't working. And it's interesting that like Sheldon keeps talked a lot about you know binging on the Maple Leafs instead of Netflix and like it, you know people were asking did he get any downtime or whatever. He's like no, like we've been working really hard at at looking at this and looking how to fix our defensive play and all this kind of stuff. And then the answer that they came to when they looked at all that is you know, no Sandine, you know, similar Angval still on the third line, which wasn't really producing hardly any offense for the like 20 games or whatever. And um, I, I was just but we like, can sort out both those things like we can sort those out. like let's sort those out. So Engvall, I think the only reason he's there to start is they want to make Robertson get it like they don't want to just I, I kind of thought that they would just put him there to start just because like. You don't have time to mess around, but clearly they want to say to him, and I guess to everyone else in camp, like we're not, we're, you're 18. We're just not going to give this to you. You've never played in the NHL. You've never played a, a preseason game. I think the defense thing. I think it's different. I, I know what you're saying with Sandine. A, I think you have to remember Sandine largely looked overmatched when the season was going on. B, um, this is kind of the first time in a in a long time that they've had that full complement on defense. So they can get the assignments in a way that they couldn't before. So they can get Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall playing against Columbus's top line. Then they have to decide what do we want to do from there. I think it makes sense to go with Riley and CeCe as like your second duo against second and third lines. And then obviously you're left with Dermot and Barry. Like I, I just don't know where you, I guess you see. Um, no, no, well, like what I'm saying, Jonas. CeCe? But what I'm saying, Jonas, I'm not saying that what they're doing is wrong i'm saying it's interesting that they spent four months reviewing what happened during the season and then the lineup still looks the same as it did before like they didn't really i I thought maybe there would be some in camp there would be like some something that looked a lot different so what that says to me is that all of that work that they put in probably went in other areas than just changing the lineup in like something that's that visible. It could be tactical things that they change. It could be uh, things they see in the way that Columbus plays that maybe they're, they're going to try and incorporate into their game. Um, the, the, the hard work that they did has to be showing somewhere. And I don't know if you've been able, it's only been three days at camp. I don't know if you've been able to pick up on any of those differences or what, what changes you think that they might've made tactically and strategically. But that, that's the comment I'm making. Like, they obviously put in a lot of work. It's not like the lineup's the same. It's not like they, they made dramatic changes. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see 
you know, we don't get to see behind the scenes. We don't know what that, where that work went into, what that was. So I'm just curious to see how that manifests itself, you know, when the games get going. Well, Keith did say, like, he, he said their biggest focus is obviously, like, they have to be a lot better defensively. And mm-hmm. the point that he made is, is, like, it's not just their defensemen that have to play better defensively. It's their forwards. And obviously we've we've spent time on that during the season. Like, I don't know, you can pick whoever you want, but, like, it's going to have to be well, the, an embrace of that. Like, it's it, got to be like a Boston Bruins kind of mentality. The inconsistency was was... Like, it's like when they played really well, when everyone was, like, dialed in, the Leafs looked pretty good. Like, they had some stretches this year where they looked like one of the top five teams in the NHL. And the frustration, I remember we did the Leafs fan survey at one point, I think it was in April or something, and we said, what's, you know, what's your biggest frustration with the team or whatever? And everyone, almost everyone said, like, a huge percentage of people responded and said that uh, it was how inconsistent they were. And I think you're right. I don't think it's just the defense. I mean, Cody CC and some of these other guys get a lot of flack, but um, you know, um, it's not it's not just on them. You know, it's and it's not. I don't think it's just defensively either. It's just like overall consistency. Like they just look like such a flat team so many nights, and there's obviously not going to be a lot of time for that. To, if 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 they're a flat team for the first two games of the series, it might be over real fast. Well, you know what it is like. It it's 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 focus right like yeah it's almost like you really have to be mentally sharp every night and if you're not and you're like you let that slip and then you let that slip then you kind of have those games that we saw throughout the regular season like there's there's tons of them um but then when you see everyone kind of dialed in and, and it's like okay you know this is this is an important game like the tampa game right before the break you watch them play that game and you're like, well, why don't we see that team more often? And I think I remember writing a story, which seems like forever ago, that Sheldon Keefe was facing a lot of the same issues as Mike Babcock. And it was just like he was saying the same things. It was like, yeah, like you see it in, in this this team. You see that game you want to see and then it disappears. And it's like, he was why? Yeah. Like what's he happening? was getting very frustrated, right? Like he was he was calling it like an immaturity and it's not that's not just a Babcock or a Keefe thing. You know, I've heard that from other members in the organization that they feel like there's an immaturity in the team that, that needs to be overcome. And it, it feels well, like, sorry, James, like just before you go, like I, I remember uh, just talking to Ray Ferrara about this. Like you, you and I see him around the rink all the time. And we, we were talking about this and his point was, it's hard to play like that. Like it's, it's hard to do. And like, if you're not prepared to do it night after night, after night, after night, it's not going to happen. Like you kind of have to have that uh, focus is the word I keep coming back to. And the other thing too, is the other team's not going to let you, they're not going to let you play soft or easy every night. Right. And Columbus certainly isn't. I, I think this is a tough matchup for them. I don't, it's not as tough as Boston, but it's kind of in the same sort of mold. It's the kind of team that the Leafs have struggled with. That's not going to relent that that's going to be all over them. And that's going to capitalize on mistakes. And that's going to capitalize on, the only thing that I think that that works here is that it's hard to imagine the Leafs aren't going to be dialed in for these games, right? Like it, it, it it's hard to imagine that they're not going to be focused for this. If if they're not focused for this moment, there's something seriously wrong with 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 the team. You know, it's I can understand to a certain extent the inconsistency and the lethargy that that, that like sets in in the middle of a regular season, and we've seen that the last. Has it been three the three years that, that you get into that mid season kind of funk? But 
in a situation like this where you've had months to prepare for the games and you're in good condition and you're in some do or die games right away, they should be like they should go into that exhibition game on the 28th against the Montreal Canadiens and just blow them out of the rink, shouldn't they? You would think so, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. While you were talking there, I was I was thinking to myself, like, does this make you reconsider anything you thought about Mike Babcock at the time? No, I mean, I think that he had to go. There were a number of reasons why he. I think he was, and this gets overused, but I think he was losing the room there. Like, I think that his message was not getting through as much as it needed to, and I think that Sheldon Keefe is his approach is going to work better with the group of players that are here. You know, and mm. I, I think coaches like Mike Babcock, there's a shelf life there. And I think that in hindsight, giving him an eight-year contract was never a great idea. Um, well, you're not getting him otherwise, right? It's a good thing they didn't give him a 10-year contract. Yeah, but I'm just saying from like, okay, it's 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 a it's not a good thing to think you're going to keep him for eight years. Like it's Mike Babcock wore heavily on those Red Wings teams after a long period of time. And that was happening in Toronto and... You know, I think that the the change was the the thing is is like Mike Babcock can be right that there are things that the Leafs aren't doing, weren't doing properly. He can be right about what those things were. The answer is is he though going to be the one that's going to fix the things that aren't right, or is he part of the impediment to getting them that message through and getting it fixed? It's, I guess I'm saying like the way we interpret that that the t- that he's losing the room is is some of the games that the team, the team plays and obviously you think back to that Pittsburgh game where they just are completely flat and I think the it was like six or seven one Cascasuo plays that game he gets lit up it, it's just a disaster but then like what's the difference months later when you have that David Ayers game like it's same team just a different coach it, so maybe I know but I what know. I'm saying like like we can't sit sorry I've say- derailed us. Mike, no, I don't know. I think this is a good, I think this makes sense. I mean, there's, there's a lot of eyes on, there, there's a lot of eyes on Sheldon Keefe here. Like he, it, he's trying to do what Mike Babcock was, was struggling to do, which is to get this team, get this thoroughbred young team to listen and buy in. And, and, and I just think that he is going to be more likely to be able to do that than Mike Babcock in the fourth year of his contract. Fourth year? Well, fifth see, year? Like, this would have been fifth. Well, I this just, was fifth. Like yeah. I know but that. See, you, do you know, know the issue I take with? It? I, I know what? that you're going to defend Babcock and whatever, but like I'm just saying that the question isn't was Mike Babcock right about the deficiencies about this team? It's could he fix it or not? Yeah, but so, so where I would take a little bit of issue, and I have taken issue with you when we talk about this stuff, is like you look at the playoff series. I don't know, like that game. What is it? Game five where they play a pretty well and that's why Mike Babcock came back. I th- I think that's Yeah, but why... I guess I'm saying like there's this 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 idea in what you're saying and, and this idea out there that like he wasn't the guy who was going to get the team to play the way that you need to play to win. And yet in that series against Boston, even the year before, there it's it's in there. Like it that that team is in there and that's the team A that was higher in the standings, technically the favorite both times. It's game 7 and there are all these little issues in those series like Kadri getting suspended both times primarily above them the goaltending not being great and yet they're like right there against a team that ends up going to the cup final yeah I mean so I, like but well look what happened in game seven like Patrick Marlowe's out there at the end of the game and like it's not yeah, like there those were fair complaints there there yeah. were there were things that yeah. went wrong and mm-hmm. sure and, and he wasn't on the same page as the GM 
they were trying to change the roster in a way that I mean, like I to me, it's like a no brainer that Mike Babcock got let go. And if you look at, you know, the the reason why I think like our listenership's not going to want to hear us talk about this for a long period of time because I think the vast majority of Leafs fans didn't want Mike Babcock to stay. Like they they saw the same things. They they did not want him to be. You know, if you ran a poll right now, should they have fired Mike Babcock? It's going to be. I think we did. We did have that on our in our fan survey. It was like ninety some percent of people wanted to see him go. So uh, anyway, like let. I think we should just move on. But I think that I think that the the, the pressure on Sheldon Keefe is to show that you can do it in a different way and get better results. And I think if the team has worse results in the playoffs, it will be fair for some people to say. Maybe they they need the coach that's, I don't know that that's that's harder on them or, but I just wonder like there's all this talk about this generation of players and how, the mindset's different and how the messaging needs to be different to reach them and how society's changing and I believe in a lot of that stuff and I think that there's very much like a new school old school dynamic that's happening there with, and if you talk to people about Sheldon Keefe it's it's about the kind of person he is and about the how he he you know works on building players up you know, away from the rink and building that kind of personal relationship. And we'll see if that works or not, but that's kind of the story line behind the scenes and why they decided to make that change. Well, and there's like clearly lots of things that he does that have a good process behind them, which I think there were some things like Mike Babcock was a very process kind of guy, but there were some things that you couldn't quite square and like, so the, the Matthews Marner thing is a really good example. And Keith has talked about it. And mm-hmm. I think I wrote about it last week when I was previewing training camp. Like the reason you try that for a while is just to know you have it. And so now what's happened is they've gone back to the way it was. But now like in, in his back pocket, Sheldon Keefe is saying to himself, not only do I know if this doesn't work that Marner and Matthews can play together. I know that Neilander and Tavares can play together and I've got something there. Yes. And Mike Babcock never had that. And 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 it was Well, he would change anything. Of, you were stuck well, he watching change the anything. same lines over and over and over. Like Marlowe was brutal right. for like 60 games and then you're in game 7 against Boston and like it was not all on the coach, but like there were some things going on where it's like holy shit, like I'm still watching the same thing I was seeing 40 or 50 games ago. Like that and and that was the frustration in, in Leafs management. So I think we should like move to another topic, but because because you and I are like an old married couple, and we're gonna like get into our like our we're gonna dig in and, and say the same things <laughs> over and over and over again. So here here's like a good way to break away from that, and we'll go back to what I said we were gonna talk about later, and that's Nick Robertson, who you wrote about uh, for, for for this morning on our site. People probably be hearing this tomorrow, so that's gonna be confusing. Yesterday morning you wrote about it, whatever. Anyway. Uh, Wednesday, you wrote about it, about Nick Robertson. <laughs> um, he's obviously really impressed you. He's obviously really impressed the Leafs. Uh, I, they've been, they were very impressed with him in phase two. Uh, he seems like a very, very, very mature, dialed in. This is actually a good segue because what he's like feels like the kind of player the Leafs need. Yeah, no, he's not big. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he's another small, skilled winger that Kyle Dubas drafted and whatever. But the kind of energy and um, tenaciousness that he has, the Leafs need some more of that, and and they need some more of that on left wing. And just so happens, here's this kid that lit up the OHL. That you know, if if everything goes right, he's going to inject what they need at the right time for this series. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And 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 I we talked about this before I wrote the story. Like I was feeling a little conflicted. It was, it was like it was after the second day of camp, and I'm thinking to myself. To me, it's very obvious that they're not going to be able to turn away from him just based on everything that you can see. And yet, I was feeling to myself like, dude, like it's it's two days into camp. Like you're really you're really gonna like you think it's that definitive. And I just feel that way. I just you watch him, you watch how he hunts the puck, you watch like the competitiveness, you watch the hustle, you watch the skill, you watch the way he shoots the puck. Like I was watching, like I was making all these notes and I'm like, Jesus. And you, you see all that stuff up close and you're like, how are they going to keep him off the team? They're not. And then the second part of that question <laughs> is like, you're going to keep him off the team for Pierre Engvall, who A, no. is a rookie himself and didn't have like a great second half to the year. Like it just... To me, it feels like no. the way you ended up selling it to me is it feels like a no-brainer. You know what it is, Jonas? It's like kind of like Ty goes to the veteran a little bit where they're not going to like... They know they're in Toronto and they're not going to start Robertson on the Tavares line or something the first day of camp. And they're not going to... They don't want to completely kill the confidence of some of those veteran guys that they might need. Like what if there's an injury in camp a weekend? Or like what if like the virus goes through and some guys have to sit out the first game? Or like they don't want to sit goat or clifford or right away but i think that you know robertson's getting some reps on the penalty kill now and he's playing he's getting some time on power play one and like it's pretty clear that they're they're looking for the role and they're looking for some chemistry for him with some different players and it's not going to surprise me at all at all if he's there alongside kerfoot and kapanen here within the next you know few days or by the time they play that exhibition game against montreal or maybe you like putting him on the fourth line and it gives you kind of a different element there and you know, I, 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 I kind of think I would sit Freddie Goche for a series like this where Columbus is a good skating team. They're going to be all over you. And, you know, I kind of wonder if you should go with a fourth line that's that's got a little bit more skill elements to it. You know, maybe it's a maybe you like Engvall, Spezza and, and Clifford. Maybe that's the, the kind of what you're looking for on that line. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm not sure they want to put Spezza in the middle. But... Yeah. I guess you could put. You'd have to just. You drop him to seven minutes or something, right? Like. Yeah. I, I do think the interesting thing, James, like is is something Keith said, and and it brings me back to training camp with Rasmus Sandin. Is he said he needs to make it obvious, and for those first couple of days, I was like, this is obvious, and then you watch the scrimmage, and I was putting myself in his shoes, and I'm like, man, like imagine how nervous you would be for this. <laughs> there's all this pressure on you. You're 18. It's a scrimmage. Like everybody's watching. There's Matthews you know, all these guys on the other side and, and he looks like an 18 year old who's never played in the NHL. And, and I think what'll be interesting is, um, how he looks as this goes on and the competition ramps up and guys get into better shape. And like, how does he adapt once he sees what this is all about? You know what though, Jonas, like these guys are wired differently than us. Like it's, you know, (laughs) I, I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast or not, but I, I had a, everyone's having all these weird dreams now with the the pandemic and being home all the time and i had a dream that i was the an e-bug i was an emergency backup goalie for the montreal Canadiens, and it was the intermission and i had to get the gear on and i couldn't figure out how to put it on and my my i'm going somewhere with this don't worry and and i was just like having like a panic attack because like i like i had to go in the net and i couldn't figure it out and like but like i don't know like with the mere mortal people like you and i like i i, I just feel like like i remember people were saying the same things about like mitch marner like oh is he gonna be like he's right out of junior and he's small and blah 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 blah. and then it was like you watched him play like 
the first four days of training camp, it's like this is this guy's gonna be one of the best players in the league, and 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 he was. And I don't, I don't think your eyes deceive you. The only thing I would say to you as devil's advocate is, I wonder if maybe some of what we're seeing is that Robertson is at a higher fitness level and conditioning level and skating level than some of the other guys, um, just with how dedicated he's been to that, and that maybe some of the more veteran guys will catch up to him a little bit more, but. I agree with you. I mean, you're seeing him closer than I am, but even leading into this camp, I like I I think that he's one of their best 12 forwards without a doubt and I think he's probably one of their best 9 forwards, so to not put him on the roster it makes no sense at all. And to go back to what I said we shouldn't talk about anymore, I wonder if Mike Babcock would put an 18-year-old into the his top 9 forwards going into a series like this. I feel like Mike Babcock would love him. I mean, like what he, he's everything kind of he likes like he's got kind of the hymen-esque qualities of like work ethic and all that stuff and he's also got skill like i i, I just i I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle this because it is like it is toronto it is easy to like i, I don't totally agree with you in terms of like i'm sure he's nervous he's 18 like this is this is all new and there's a lot of pressure on him um but when you think of it in just plain terms, is he one of your best twelve forwards for game one? Like there's no there's no doubt. There's and and I just think when you get into a series like this where it's five games and like you you don't have time, I would rather have a guy who can potentially break open a game and score a goal than Pierre Engvall, who is a straight ahead, really great skater, but he's not gonna make a play for you. Like he's just gonna be Pierre Engvall. Well, I think Pierre Engvall is a fourth line guy who skates really well, who can kill penalties. And yeah. I, I don't like the modern NHL, the way that it is now, the last, you know, 10 years, the teams that win often have three really skilled lines and sometimes four. And part of the problem the Leafs ran into is that when they had injuries, they didn't have three really skilled lines. Like they. They, they weren't getting anything from the third and fourth line and they were having to like go get guys like Dennis Mulgan and like they were having to kind of and that's one of the things that I think that I was wrong about and I think we were probably both wrong about is that going into the season we yeah we were talking about how much offensive depth they had and how dangerous you know the third and fourth line would be and it's like that didn't really manifest itself like they 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 weren't that good they were the Leafs were really top heavy um there were times early in the year where it looked like, you know, like Kerfoot and Trevor Moore and some of these other guys were going to be able to contribute more than they did. And it just, the longer the season went on and when they ran into injuries, it just wasn't there. So they, they need, and, and with the tough year that, that someone like Andreas Janssen had, they just, they, they, they need someone really good on the third line to produce offense. And I think that Robertson, what he does complements Kerfoot and Kapanen well. And I think that that's going to be a good trio once they, once they get the, uh, I don't know, once they work up the nerve to, to put that line combination together, and that's going to mean they bench someone else, and that'll be a story in Toronto for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that you touched on the big reason they didn't get the depth. Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen didn't take a step. Like, that was the way it was going to happen. Like, if suddenly you had, well, you, you get Mikheyev, who we didn't, like, you don't know what he's going to do, but, like, pretty quickly it became apparent that he was going to be something but you expect like Janssen to follow up to some degree on what he did last year. That didn't happen. And Kasperi Gapanen, it didn't happen. And so like suddenly your third line guys that you were expecting to make a jump don't jump and, and you don't get the production you thought you'd get. Janssen took a step. It was a step backwards. Like, yeah. So. 
and they invested in those guys like they didn't they could have yes. you know it was interesting I, I remember when we had ray ferraro on and he said they should have bridged andres johnson like there was no reason to invest what they did in him and you look at it and it, i think they gave him a four-year deal right and like yeah. they probably didn't need to do that like you know well, I there's not no thought, reason well the reason is that but if they didn't do that, they would be in a better position now, cap wise, and mm-hmm. you know, they're just. But, I don't know. They, they were. But more then the reverse about, is also true, James. Right? Like the reverse is true. Like if he cut, you give him a one year deal, yeah, and he scores twenty goals and has fifty five points. Suddenly, you're paying him more than three point four. Like they're betting, they're making, they're willing to make the bet on what they'd seen, and and right now the bet hasn't paid off. They're right? losing the bet right now, though, right? So right now, yep, for sure. And they just don't have a lot of cap space to lose a lot of bets. So you know, I mean, I. They're going to need to free up a couple of million in the offseason. And I, it feels like Janssen's the guy to go. So, um, and it'll be, it'll be, um, it'll be harder to trade him, you know, just with the season that he's had. All right, James, that is a perfect segue um, for me to get a little line in. Did you know smelling good is important? Yes, I did, Jonas. You, yeah, I guess you smell pretty good most of the time, but. <laughs> If you go to hawthorne.co, that's hawthorne.co, you can take a specific quiz, answer some questions about yourself, and you can pick the perfect cologne that suits your needs. Would you be interested in that, James? Sure, why not? Sign me up. So I actually took the I took the quiz, and they ask you about all these different things as far as like deodorant, shampoo, body wash, cologne, what you like to smell like, how much you sweat, all these different things that will match products up perfectly for you so what you can do james is you go to hawthorne.co that's hawthorne with an e dot co not dot com hawthorne.co and use the promo code leaf to get 10 percent off your first purchase that's hawthorne.co use the promo code leaf to get 10 percent off your first purchase again james hawthorne.co i know what i'm doing after the show all right now we will get back into our leaf talk because you made me think of something that I wanted to discuss with you, and that's Ilya Mikheyev. And I, I don't think there's any like downplaying how important his return is for the Leafs. In that, A, he's really good. And, and obviously, the organization deserves credit for finding him and bringing him over and all that stuff. But you just plug him into you know, that spot with Tavares and, and Marner for now. And suddenly you can move Kerfoot down. And so suddenly you're not having to use Engvall or Spezza to center your third line. Like, he's just a really important guy to get back. And then there's, like, the penalty-killing side. And and he was just getting better and better and better as the season rolled along. So you, I kind of feel like getting him back is, like, one of the sneaky. I know you like, you like when I use that word. But, like, the sneaky, big, important things to happen out of this pause. Yeah. I mean, do you think that... Sheldon Keefe was kind of saying yesterday that that um, he looks better, like some of the things he's worked on. Like he was never a guy that had like a really dangerous shot. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing that the skill development team, Sheldon Keefe uh, had a call out for Denver Manderson, who's a guy that used to play for the Marlies, who's now on the skill development team. And he said he's really worked with Mikheyev on, on, on his shooting mechanics. And they've got that big shooting cage at the arena. I don't know if they've been using it or not, but like they, the Leafs have all kinds of, skill development people more than any other NHL team that they can work on very specific parts of people's games. We've seen them do it with, you know, Freddie Goche skating and um, Zach Hyman. I know they've worked on his shot quite a bit and, and he's made a lot of progress there. 
Um, like, can you have you t- could you have you been able to tell in the first three day of, days of camp if Mikheyev looks number one ready to go, and number two if if you think maybe potentially he can be improved from what we saw back in December. He definitely looks ready to go, and and Keith mentioned um, that his shot was a lot better, and and I guess that makes sense when you're coming off that kind of injury, you're probably spending a lot more time on shooting and just getting back, getting that feel back. Uh, I think Chris Johnson had in his story way back before the pause that like he couldn't do anything for 90 days like he wasn't allowed to put pressure on it so i imagine once you those 90 days are up and you can start doing stuff you're working really hard at getting that feel back um and like this is a guy who it's a tough injury my dad had a cut a cut tendon in his thumb and and the rehab that you have to do to be able to move like you your body basically learns you can't remember how to use your thumb again or like use like his his wrist or his hand probably he couldn't like move it properly for all like it's it's not easy it's a, you got to start like almost back from the beginning you know those videos you see of people relearning to walk and stuff like that it's like kind of like a toned down version of that so you know for him to it sounds like like listening to his teammates talk and whatever and like and in the coaches talk it sounds like McKay have put in a ton of work to get back um you know up to speed as fast as he did well and, and to me like the fact that you can just kind of that it's like a slam dunk for your top six and and now one of the things that that you see with their their top six group of forwards is they're very interchangeable like Hyman and and Mikheyev are kind of like in the same mold like they they do similar things they have different skills but they do similar things and now you can just kind of rearrange the puzzle pieces and and sorry to bring it back to Robertson but that's like one of the things that I've been thinking about a while that I like in terms of putting him on the team and putting him in the lineup. I think it's a really big advantage if you are down 2-1 in the third period that you can take Robertson and put him with Matthews and Marner and try to get mm-hmm. a goal. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that with Engvall. You can't do that with some of these other guys. Like I just think there is an advantage to having all these different interchangeable, highly skilled pieces that you can put together and do things with. And then there's like a smaller advantage of, of him going onto your second power play unit he, um, from what, from a lot of the videos I watched in, in Peterborough of his power play goals, like he can shoot the puck from the point. And so like suddenly you put him on that second unit and you've got like a real threat that they don't have. And granted that unit's not going to play much and like that might not mean anything, but it could also mean the difference in a game. And like in a five game series, that could be it. Well, remember during the season when they ran into injuries and Dennis Mulgan was on the line with Tavares and you're watching yes, and it's like, exactly. holy cow, like it, this team is so much easier to shut down than they were previously. So yeah no i i totally agree I, somehow we ended up kind of diverging from what we were going to talk about i think the robertson tangent we could just call this show the robertson show <laughs> three days but you know like i like mikhaev uh i hopefully he's part of the leafs organization for a while just because he's such an interesting story and um the way that his teammates were talking about him yesterday after the skating was was really interesting just you know, like his English isn't very good, but he's one of those guys that everyone loves. And when I did a, a feature on Mikheyev back, I think it was in November or December, and talking to guys that played with him in Russia, they were just like kind of over the top. Like I, they were all calling me back right away, and they all really wanted to talk to them. Bob Hartley was his coach over in K in the KHL, and I, I remember I got him on like we did like a Skype or a Zoom call before that became the only way we could communicate with other human beings, and and he just like. Bob Hartley was like the morning over there and he went on and on and on and on and on because and he was talking about how he texts back and forth with Mickey all the time and like 
his personality, like what, what fans see kind of on the ice and the limited interaction he has in the media scrums, he's just like kind of a very, very likable person. And I think that he can be one of those guys that, you know, maybe like the way that Grabowski became in Toronto or like a James Reimer, or is there another example of, he, he can just become a fan favorite really quickly through his work ethic and through his personality. And the fact that he could be a really, really good player and, you know, I hope that what doesn't happen is that the the contract and the financial side of it, because he's an RFA and he's going to need more money, hopefully that doesn't mean that he doesn't play for the Leafs for a long time, because I think he could really grow into something pretty special here. Well, it kind of feels like um, you should do, if you can, a one-year deal and then give yeah. him something longer. Yeah. He doesn't well, have, like, that much of a case. Like, as much as he's played really well, like, he played 39 games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if what if he has, like, a... A big postseason, then I think that that, that sure, potentially that changes, change, it. that changes things. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, obviously, you hope for that because if he has a big postseason, we're talking the Leafs playing more than five games or, or whatever. So, well, Chris, Chris uh, Johnson wrote about him for Sportsnet, and, and him and I were talking about that contract, and we were just like playing with that type of um, uh, what's the word, like resume. And it, yeah. it, it's hard to find real good comparisons for him. Like I was thinking, like something like one year, like. 1.5 or something maybe less i think like, he might I get a little bit more than that i think i wonder if you could do like two years at two million or something like i think i would do that in a heartbeat if you could get that done um but i mean like the thing is is that he can make a lot more money than that in russia so part of this is going to have to come down to mckayev this not all being about the money and i think that they're fortunate that he's one of the russian guys that you know he said he always dreamed of of playing in the nhl I think he loves the team. I think he likes the city, and there's a good Russian community here in in Toronto. And you know, it's pretty clear that the the his teammates have done a really good job of kind of making him feel integrated really quickly. So sometimes with the Russian guys, like I sometimes I felt with like someone like Kuleman that it felt like a bit isolating, given that he he was such a quiet guy, and there aren't that many. He had Grabowski around at least, but I think that you can get into a situation with some Russian players around the NHL, there are a lot fewer of them than there used to be that you can be the only Russian guy. There's no one to talk to and it can be mm-hmm. hard. Um, but I think the Leafs are doing the best they can with making it not like that. And I wonder with Barabanov coming over, if that could potentially help Mikheyev even more next year. Yeah. I remember uh, their agent, Dan Milstein told me he didn't want them to talk to each other because he wants them to talk to everybody else when Barabanov comes over. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I know. Anyway, Mikhe- your point is doing- well made though. McKay has been doing English lessons and I, I was, I had him penciled in at like one year, like 1.8 or 2 million or something like that. But he has more options than some like 21 year old kid, you know, like it's not, I don't think that he's the same. I, I think that like he can say, I can go to Russia and get 3 million right now. I'm not signing for 1.4 million or whatever. Like, I don't think that, well, but you I can tell him using, like, we're going to pay you when we, like, we've seen a little more, like you played half a season. Yeah. And I think the Leafs are going to try. I think they're going to try to get that number and Travis Dermott's number as low as they possibly can. And I think it's probably going to be lower than people think. Um, before we wrap, actually, we have another break to take. Are you ready? Is this my turn? Yeah. So, turn. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, most of our listeners to this show are in Toronto. I know there are Leafs fans everywhere, but a lot of you are in Toronto. Um, and even if you're not in Toronto, what better way to promote your business than through our show? Our listeners are loyal and engaged, just like you. And what better way to advertise your business than on your favorite podcast? Uh, so to advertise with The Leaf Report, uh, go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. 
you can fill out a simple form and we'll get back to you right away. Theathletic.com slash podcast ads. Become a sponsor. We will do a brilliant ad read and we will help your business flourish. Great job. <laughs> um, so before we wrap, I, there's two things I want to get to quickly and then we got to go. Um, Tyson Berry being on the third pair, like it? It's fine. It's fine. I mean, I, I get, I, I understand like some fans don't want to see any more of Cody CC, the Leafs organization. I, you know, I feel like we've been saying this since training camp believes in him more than some of the analytics people on that online. And, um, I think the key is like what you said that, um, they need to shelter that pairing a little bit more. Cody CC against top lines concerns me. Uh, I think a team like Columbus that isn't really top heavy is probably a little bit easier to 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 roll a guy like that out. And and the other thing too is that I'm not sure that Tyson better Barry is better defensively than CC anyway. So um, the one advantage you get is that 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 Dermot Barry pairing is that's a very good third pair. And I think that if that's the way that you roll things, that you can play your third pair a little bit more than you might otherwise. So looking for a silver lining in, in CC being up the lineup. Personally, if it was up to me, I would have tried to change some things around a little bit more. But I think that, like, I would have tried... Dermot. It doesn't work. I would it doesn't have tried, work, James. I would have tried Dermot on the right side or... So you know, your I, third pair is Dermot would, is CC Barry? Like, I it doesn't would, work. No, well, CC wouldn't be in the lineup if I had someone different on the right side. Oh, like, so okay. I, like, I personally, that's I would have tried something like that. But I understand where they're coming from in listening to Sheldon Keefe, where he's saying... He's essentially saying, we don't have a lot of time here. Like, we have to get ready now. We need to be playing. We need to be in game mode now. We're going to get one exhibition game. We're going to get these scrimmages. We have to take this seriously because, you know, like, they're they're two weeks away from playing. Like, it's... So they, they, they don't really feel like they can do some, like, outside the box. This is my read of where they're at right now. So they're... They're stuck with either Barry or CC being in their top four, and right now they're deciding CC, and they can always change their mind. And I wonder if they change their mind if you know if they're trailing in a game or whatever that that can be something that they change up. Oh yeah, you'll see Riley's Barry when they're trailing for sure. Um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about briefly, just because we did get a lot of questions about it, and you wrote about him specifically, is the Austin Matthews situation with the virus. Do you just want to like explain explain kind of what we were trying to do with that whole situation what we were not trying to do well i mean the basic the basic way to describe it is that the athletic does not want to publish test results without the player agreeing to that and in this case there was the report in june we reached out to matthews and his camp um and saw if they wanted that out there or not and it was very clear that they did not so we decided as we've decided as an outlet as a whole that we're not gonna we're not gonna out people's private medical tests if they don't want it out there you know we can you and i can have a debate over you know i mean there's been a bunch of nba players that that with some of our nba insiders in the company who have been fine with having their test results out there so far in the nhl there have not been players that have been super forthcoming with with this information and it's not hasn't just been matthews there have been other players that we've known have have had the virus and we've reached out and we've tried talking to them and they said you know what i don't really want to talk about this and i don't want this out there and it's not out there and people don't know who they are so i think that there can be 
I think there's a debate here about like some of the ethics and the privacy concerns and those things. And I don't think it's 100% black and white. But as a company, that's what we've decided. That's what TSN has decided. That's what Sportsnet has decided. And this idea that we're doing this because we're afraid of losing access or whatever other bullshit people are saying online, it's not true. We've just decided that as a company that this is how we believe is the right way to do this. And I'm sure at some point there are going to be players that are do feel comfortable about coming out and talking about their tests. Um, I believe there was one of the Ottawa Senators that came out and said that he tested positive for it at one point. It didn't make a lot of news, but there, I think there are going to be some players that do talk about it. Uh, but Matthews decided he didn't want to talk about it, and we respected that. So that's what happened. And I don't know, Jonas, you and I haven't really like debated this. I mean, it's, it's a decision that was made at the high lo- highest levels of our company, and we respected that, and that's why our coverage of that looked the way that it did. I think you summed it up well. I I, I don't think they're, like, it's it's hard... With a private medical thing like that, I'm not sure there's a perfect way to go about it. Um, but it, like you, I, I do tend to lean towards the human side, like where if it was me, would I just want someone putting it out there? If I didn't want it out there, probably not. But it, but it's it's complicated. And my understanding is he was very upset about the way that that happened. So now I do I don't think. Um, subsequent to that, and then we'll wrap. I don't like the way the NHL is is deciding to handle this stuff because they've basically said they're not telling you anything. When someone's unfit to play, quote unquote, it might be an injury, it might be the virus. They're just not going to give you any indication. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Well, it's going to lead so. to more. Of, it's going to lead to more of this happening. There's going to be more reporters digging for this information and there's going to be more players that are quote-unquote outed i don't know if that's the right term. well it just forces speculation right yeah so timothy Lilligren um doesn't come out all of a sudden for the first day of camp then the next then they say he's unfit to play and then obviously um the next day they say he's he's out he's not going to be in the roster but he's around the rink so he probably doesn't have it then right like if he had it then he wouldn't be at the rink so right but if we don't see him at the rink like you yeah, kind of create speculation. Well, anyway. did you see what happened in Montreal where we had, you know, we can report that if there's like kind of like a, if a whole bunch of players on one team test positive, we can report that, you know, this, let's say Tampa or Ottawa, we can say that Ottawa has a bunch of players that have tested positive without naming the individual players. But then what happened is that the next day at training camp, you know, we were, Arpin Basu for us reported that Montreal had three players test positive. The next day at camp, three players weren't there. It's, it's kind of hard to right. say. Right, it's like you can it's just almost yeah, and that's going to puzzle happen. piece together, right? Right. So it's this is this is an unusual situation for the media and for the league and everyone, and they're trying to we're trying to find the best way forward with this, and and they are as well. But you know, at, at this point, our policy is going to be that we're going to respect the players' wishes, and that's what we tried to do. All right, perfect way to end it. If you haven't subscribed yet to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash leaf report. Get a discount. James, we will talk next week when there's more training camp, and then we'll have games pretty soon. It's actually going to be happening, hopefully. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next week.